I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, guys. It's Courtney. Joy Marie here. And we're back with another episode of Job Logs. New episodes on the 1st and the 15th of every month. Yes, and we're now on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This week... We are diving into the legalese part of work. Yes, are you fluent? <laughs> we know the nature of work is changing. Everyone has a business, a side hustle, an idea. But, you know, we want to make sure we're going about it the right way and putting legal protections in place for ourselves and our money. So we're going to be talking all about that with a very special guest. Stay tuned. Yes, but first, we're clocking in. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing a quick check-in on the ways of the world. Yes. Joy, how are you? I'm good. I'm actually incredibly jet lagged I don't know how I'm awake (laughs) right now but blessed because I got to spend time with my family for the Thanksgiving holiday in Thailand the Instagram stories were amazing yes it was so fun so we had a, a big family vacation which we haven't had in years, I highly recommend them. I feel like all my Caucasian coworkers are always <laughs> vacationing with their families, and like Africans just don't do that. So, I definitely highly recommend, um, you know, carving that time if you can to spend time with your loved ones and just sort of go away and retreat. I had a whole agenda that we did not get to, <laughs> but we're planning another one for next year. Oh, so, great. hopefully, we'll get to it there. How was your um, holiday? Mine was good. We went down south, mm-hmm. Georgia, spent time with family. Nice. We always have great conversations. Okay. Over Thanksgiving, I had a great one with my uncle, and we were just talking about timing mm. and just how there's never a perfect time for anything. Hmm. And he was saying, because we had, he had just lost his mother mm. like a week before, and he was just saying that, like, you can't put things off. And, mm. like, when you're talking about taking the next step in different ways, it's like you, you, it's never going to be the perfect time to right. do something. Like go and chase things. So. Do it anyway. Thanks for the wisdom, Unc. I love Great. that. The world. I came back to the U.S. news cycle. That's funny. Was, <laughs> now let me tell you, because I feel like when you travel abroad, the news, they were talking a lot about Mugabe resigning. And the U.S. is just a different different lens. Really? Which, you know, it isn't all bad. It's just different. Did um, you watch the news when you were on vacation? No, but my dad is a diplomat with a refugee agency, mm-hmm. so I feel like growing up, he always brings new yeah. stories into everything. It's <laughs> like what like BBC's always on or yeah. something, and um, it's always more globally focused, mm. I guess because it's his job to stay plugged in. Yeah. But yeah, he was talking a lot about Mugabe and stuff that's happening in Africa, um, and then I got back, but I was really excited because I saw the news about Prince Harry. <laughs> And Meghan Markle and the royal wedding that's upcoming. So I'm very excited. How long do you think, out of curiosity, it takes, like, the royal family, the palace, whatever, to vet a potential suitor? I don't know. But, you know, the the game has changed with those boys, though. (laughs) Well, because if you think about it, like, Prince Di was, like... 
she was kind of like the revolutionary. Right. As revolutionary as a royal can be. Right, um, right. And that she was like, you know, of the people sort of thing. Yeah. And her, they were saying like her sons, the oldest one married a commoner. Mm. And then this guy is marrying a biracial American actress. So right. it's like as the queen had to. <laughs> biracial makes it somehow outlandish. I mean, but that's it's a story for, for another it's day. New. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's true. It's new for them. Um, I feel like, I mean, I've had to do background checks for people getting like government security clearance that were really invasive. So I feel like it was probably like a two year out operation. Like Oh, it's a thing. Have you watched The Crown on Netflix? No, I keep hearing about it. <laughs> it's very it's very into like the politics of like partners and yeah. people leaving people and like what the ramifications of that. Yeah. I'm fascinated actually. Yeah. Fascinated. Yeah. And I, I feel like with both of them too, Megan and uh Kate. I feel like there was like a plan in place like oh, there no was a rollout. <laughs> there was a rollout like i fully sure. believe they're in love but mama knew mama oh yeah knew. and everything's playing like the fact that, oh she's wearing a white coat when they yeah walk. like everything is yeah planned. yeah there's no business like the crown all right but in other black girl magic news i was also very excited about Miss Universe, which I don't really watch. I did not know what happened. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I find out the day of usually. On Instagram. But I always stand for pretty much everyone black or Deisa. But yeah, I always stand for pageants and that whole spiel. I mean, I think they, you know, they play a relevant role Do in they? our society. I think so. And I think what it's because in college joy? I knew um, a woman who did pageant training and it just kind of helped to give me a better perspective. Really? And what's, I think it's about the... philanthropy. Is and it? Yeah, <laughs> and camaraderie and patriotism for your country. When you think about it, how many like global activities like that are there? There's the, the Olympics. Olympics. There's um, the FIFA soccer thing. Uh, the <laughs> My World Ghanaians Cup. will just, yeah, so that <laughs> I'm so bad with sports. But yeah, there's so few of them. It's so exciting when... I don't know. <laughs> you don't. The girls trotting across the state. I don't know. Listen, I guess. We I'm here for it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, pivoting away from the beauties of stage, mm-hmm. I am very intrigued with Amazon these days. What are they doing now? Right. Besides trying to take successfully take I don't know what it is but there's been this shift in me where I've just rooting for all of these large companies to like mm. be regulated and get their <laughs> act together but I, I think it's because power is running amok these mm. days so I just want justice <laughs> Amazon I don't know if you're aware of this but they've been shopping a new location for their second headquarters no I'm not yeah so they announced last month um, they received about 238 proposals from cities around the country to host their Second headquarters will be 50,000 employees, $5 billion. And one place? It's Amazon. 50,000? 50,000. Like in that facility? That is a lot of people. It must be like a campus. Right. Yeah, basically. It's a second campus. Yeah. And they're going to decide in early 2018. But this is the gag. (laughs) And just like the hypocrisy of our government. So, for example, Chicago. Mm -hmm. We can see why they would want this campus. Like a lot of... um, with the violence in Chicago, a lot of people blame that there's not a lot of opportunities, mm-hmm. and they would love to see like this source yeah. of stability. Yeah. But they have offered to let Amazon pocket 1.32 billion dollars in income taxes huh. paid by its workers. 
So it's called a personal income tax diversion. Uh-huh. So you would still, if I worked for Amazon, I would still pay my full income tax. Okay. But the company would pocket it. So basically, I'm paying what? my income tax to the company. To the company instead so of that money. So why you still got to pay it? Right, and the money would usually go to like schools, no. infrastructure. So the, and they're just pocketing it because they just want the savings yeah. to entice these people mm, to come. I see. And if we had a government, maybe they would regulate <laughs> it, but we don't. <laughs> no, I was not aware of that. That's fascinating. I'm still not over 50K on one campus, though. How big is the whole company? Sheesh. Amazon is a monster. It's a monster. Jeez. Like, it's Amazon, Google, and Facebook are, like, yeah. the behemoths of our time. I see. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on that. And this is why you need, come on local politics. Right. You need to be involved. No, you're right. With your local government. Don't you're let right. it fly. Moving right along. Rants, rares, and reviews. Mm-hmm. So this is part of the show where we highlight things that are helping or hindering our work lives. Enjoy taking center stage. Yes, I am raving this week on a positive note. I recently had the opportunity to t- attend a professional development session at work. Um, mm-hmm. And it was all around this idea by an author named David Allen of increasing productivity. Okay. So he has a system called Getting Things Done. And there's a book. Um, And it really kind of shifted a lot of the way I thought about productivity. I know a lot of times those productivity books and sessions are kind of an eye roll, like everyone's telling you to like, you know, be more organized and systematic. Um, And a lot of that stuff doesn't really resonate with me. But this was really interesting. He spoke about this idea of, you know, us being really overstimulated all the time. And if you think about it, we finish something on our to-do list and once it's crossed off you really forget about it Mm -hmm. like your your brain doesn't retain it it's the stuff that we haven't done that stresses us out the most right um and a lot of times the stuff that we haven't done we're not doing and we're procrastinating because we don't have clarity on the next steps of what we actually need to do so if you think about your to-do lists Mm -hmm. right whether it's on your phone or whatever you might put a bullet on there and that's like, I don't know, midterm or um, shopping or groceries. But this whole David Allen basically argues that that stuff isn't specific enough. And so what your brain does is become stressed because you don't actually know the next action that you need. A lot of times we'll put a big thing on there like blog. Yeah. But the real next step that we need to do is research, you know, three articles on meal prepping to figure out what angle we want the blog post to be smaller steps yeah smaller steps and so I wanted to share kind of the five steps that he proposes to kind of help um, eliminate some of that stress so his whole system is basically proposing that you take things off your mind and always write them down somewhere and he calls Mm -hmm. that capture And basically that helps to eliminate stress because you know that I'm going to go to that list at certain specific time intervals and focus on it. And it's the same principle with email, too. It's like instead of always carrying it in your mind and always kind of looking at it, always put things that are kind of pending and on your brain onto paper and be like, you do that? Like over the holiday weekend, like the last holiday before, I was like, okay, I want to just like do this quick to do list of Mm -hmm. like stuff I need to do so I cannot think about it. And it was like 
shopping on like Black Friday sales. Yeah. Like clean the bath. Like it's just stupid stuff. L- literally I can everything. Remember. But getting it out, does. yeah. It's like, okay, I know I'll get it done. Look at you, down. you're already on it. Yeah, and he says like, keep one list. Don't make, like, it doesn't have to be a work and a personal because our brain doesn't compartmentalize like that. Like, mm. you could be sitting here and think about something you have to do at home, or be sitting at work and think about you know yeah. something else. So, okay. um, like that. that's awesome that you're doing that already. So captures the first step, clarifies the second, which is what I just talked about. Like, make sure it's very clear what the actionable next step is for the item. Mm -hmm. Um, And then organize, which is just like if you need to go back to that list and sort what the home stuff is, what the big projects are. Um, And then reflect, which is really that piece of having specific time intervals where you go back to that list and say, okay, let me think about Mm -hmm. what I'm missing to paint that wall or whatever the case is. And then his last step is engage, which is. The, the act of actually doing it um and he's he recommended even like with email if there's something you can do in under two minutes just do it yeah, when you get the email out. just do it knock it out but if there isn't file it like capture email too. put it in a specific folder to address later and you know action on it then but reacting to email in real time is one of the biggest ways that we kind of are not productive and get stressed out too. Yeah. So, yep, getting things done. David Allen, check it out. All right, guys. So we are super thrilled about this conversation. Yes, we brought the law in the building. Hello. Pull out your <laughs> pens and your pads because this one's going to be an informative one. We have Jennifer Jacques in the building. She is an NYC-based lawyer and the managing attorney of Jacques & Associates, where she advises on a full range of transactional matters, nonprofit formation, sports law, and entertainment law, which is a whole lot of stuff I don't candidly fully <laughs> understand, but she's about to educate us. Jennifer, welcome. Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Now, Jennifer, we were introduced because I was catching up with a friend a couple months ago, and we went to brunch. I was talking to him, and I was just like, you know, like, I have all these business ideas. I've always had, like, super creative, innovative ideas, and Courtney and I have all these ventures we're working on, but there's, like, this wall when it comes to resources and information and kind of knowing how to take that next step to formalize those ideas For sure. into right. a business. Um, and so that's really kind of what inspired the conversation. I think in our work and lives, we could all sort of benefit from having that legal background. Definitely. You know, it's one of the most interesting things for me being in the area of practice and working with young entrepreneurs and just kind of like seeing the creative but not necessarily the legal structure. And I think that as they start to grow from infancy to scale, they see the necessity of having legal counsel. So even if you don't necessarily have a, you know, attorney on retainer, monthly but just to speak with an attorney for something as simple as a vendor agreement yeah that is simple in the beginning but you just never know how it can end up if you don't get paid right (laughs) right so i think that having some level of knowledge on your bare bones legalese um it's extremely important to your structure and your growth when you're ready to scale nice so i want to kick off our conversation um, talking about like, how do I know if I just have an idea, like hobby side hustle, or if I have like a business that needs 
like legal protections in place? Well, it's a matter of where are you in terms of clients? So if you have, my favorite example is usually the t-shirt example. I like to use the t-shirt example because it covers different stages of business. So let's say you have a friend that has an organization, you want to raise money for your friends, so you decide to make t-shirts and you decide to use some kind of technology to incorporate, to make the t-shirts more smooth or less sweat sweat resistant or something of that nature Mm -hmm. and you decide okay look i'm gonna do this for my friend and guess what your t-shirts sell out people love it but you're not incorporated as a business and you sell it to a particular customer who happens to be allergic to your material so what do you do next you don't have a business in place you're operating as Courtney, (laughs) you know the individual Mm -hmm. and there is nothing to shield you so I think that once your interaction with your consumers um, are to a point where you can be sued, you should really start considering legal advice in terms of your structure and how you should protect your assets. Okay, so I feel like I'm hearing, you know, there's the sort of liability piece, which is protecting yourself and making sure you have that structure in place so you're not personally liable. But I've also heard things about Uh, trademarks or copyrights and just sort of all these other terms, um, I guess, around protecting your ideas and creativity. But what are some other scenarios that, you know, kind of indicate to us that we might need to seek legal counsel? Well, especially when you're going into agreements with other individuals or other businesses, um, if you have people that are interested in backing you financially, you certainly want to have a structure in place that's structurally sound and investor ready. Okay. So as you re- so you, you mentioned something very important, such as trademarks and protecting things that are not necessarily tangible, your ideas. Ideas are worth a lot in our age of technology. And a lot of times people don't have the money to license the technology because it's not patented, depending on what it is, whether it's a product or an idea. If you have an attorney present, there are contracts that you can have in place to protect you as you wait to get investor funding to patent, you know, whatever product it is you have. But it really depends on what it is your business is offering. So is is it a service? Is it a product? Is it an idea? It, 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 there's there are different levels to mm-hmm. what it is you're offering is to your consumer. What are, I guess, some scenarios where maybe it's a little too premature? And I mean, like if you've got the Instagram page with 100 followers, maybe that's <laughs> not necessarily uh, where you should be spending your time and money at that stage. But I mean, are there any like big markers or flags to you around maybe when it's a little too early? So if you're at the concept stage and you don't really have any one that you can sell to you don't have any consumers you don't have any demographic you don't necessarily have your idea down packed in terms of what your proof of concept is going to be then i would definitely say just continue to work on the business idea and Mm. this is where your business plan comes into place what exactly is it that you plan on putting out into the world of this business in the next five years is it something that you plan on just having as a hobby? Um, you know, as I said with the t-shirt example, you're just going to sell for your friend here and there. Or is it something that you're really going to put your um, heart and soul into 
and really push forward with it. And I like to use the example of Sarah Blakely with Spanx. You know, when she mm-hmm. started her company, people thought that she was crazy. She had the uh, pantyhose, she cut the legs, and she figured, okay, this is going to be something that is going to revolutionize women in clothing. Nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to speak to her. Nobody gave her the time of day. But she was con- consistent. She was committed. And she researched her product. She researched the women, her pool of de- you know, demographics. She had a plan together mm-hmm. so that when that one person said yes, she knew exactly how she was going to offer her product to her consumer base. And she was able to determine whether there's an appetite for her product. Yeah. So yep. you you really need to focus on how much energy you're putting forth in committing to your product product or service and who really wants it. If nobody wants it, which is where your business plan comes into place, then you really shouldn't be seeking legal advice. You really Yeah. Need to, right. Is this something that I need to be doing? Right. <laughs> right. So much. it sounds like the marker is kind of like when your idea, your product, your service starts interacting with a lot of different mm-hmm. people and relationships. When you're building that client base, when you're talking about taking on investment, that's when that legal thinking should come into play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the framework, like the bare bones framework of that is it sounds like we talked about maybe incorporation, trademarks and copyrights to protect the idea. Is there anything else? Yeah. So. I would strongly suggest really just having a structure so that you incorporate, if you decide that you want to not necessarily take it to the next level, but you still feel like you are somewhat interested in seeing where it goes, then perhaps in terms of the structure, I would suggest a sole proprietorship because it's very simple. It's not as legally, there's, there aren't that much legal restraints in terms of what you can and can't do. Um, it's not as heavily regulated as the other four corporate structures that you can use. So I would suggest a sole proprietorship and perhaps using a DBA, which is a doing business as, so that it's different than your name and that you appear a little bit more sophisticated and polished mm-hmm. when you are producing agreements with other individuals. However, if you are at a level where you do have enough engagement, you have done your research and you have a demographic that you believe is ready for your product, at that point, I would definitely consider incorporating as either a limited liability company or a S-Corp, depending on if you are doing it on your own. However, if you have a partner, then you could just form as a corporation. 
And the reason that I suggest the LLC, which is a limited liability um, company, is because it's a lot more flexible in terms of what you can and can't do versus a corporation, which tends to be more when you're ready to scale and you have your agreements in place. Let's say you have a technology that's ready to be licensed, acted, mm-hmm. and you're registered and ready for your investors. With people that tend to be a little bit less sophisticated, they really don't know what a business entails and how heavily regulated corporations are, then I would say a limited liability company is a really good way to just kind of like step into it without being so overwhelmed with quarterly filings and double taxation Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just a lot of things that can make you, you're already overwhelmed as a creative right and now here comes the business portion which can also be overwhelming so the limited liability company is a little bit more flexible and amenable to people who are at their infancy yet they're still at a stage where they're sophisticated enough to have conversations with corporate clients and you have your agreements in place and you're ready for investor conversation right right and we definitely recommend you guys do your googles and speak with someone um, I actually went to the Small Business Development Center, which offers free resources for people kind of pursuing, you know, new business ventures. Um, and they had some ideas, too, because everyone's situation, obviously, is going to be a little bit different. What are your feelings about some of the cheaper, more affordable sort of online alternatives to an actual attorney? And when is it maybe a good idea to make that investment maybe save versus going the cheaper routes? I definitely would recommend the cheaper route for someone who really doesn't know what they're looking to do with their business. You really don't know what your consumer base is going to be. You want to have a structure because maybe let's say you have, let's say five to 10 people that are interested in working with you on a very small level. Um, Then I would say, look, invest your money in your business. But once you really start getting into real contracts that need to be tailored for your business because you can go online and Google some contracts and the contracts are going to be boilerplate, Mm -hmm. but there are some essentials that need to be tailored to what exactly it is that you're doing. And every business in some capacity is different. I, you know, I don't care what the business is. There's going to be something that makes it different, which is why it's unique and in the marketplace. Yeah. So I would suggest that you really start to consider legal counsel once you're at a stage where you know that you're getting clients that are interested in you and you're selling or you're providing a service that seems to be really hitting the mark and you don't want to get into a position where you have like five or six founding members and one person is contributing a small amount, another isn't, and you really don't have an objective person in the room (laughs) to be the bad guy. Yeah. you don't want to be the person that's saying, okay, well, I don't think you work as much as I do. Nobody wants to hear that from, you know, their founding partner, but right. you can hear it from your attorney, you know, who's an yeah. objective person yeah. in the room that can help in alleviating those matters. And I wonder, how does this process differ for like a freelancer? Because I know that there's definitely, when I was doing freelancing, things that changed the game for me was when my friend pulled me aside and was like, hey, do a scope of work, do, Mm -hmm. you know, 
show your invoicing schedule. So what are some kind of frameworks we should think about for on a smaller scale? Yeah, for a smaller scale, that's why I would suggest the online resources that are Mm -hmm. available. Just like you said, Joy, you know, with the Small Business Administration or NOLO, Rocket Lawyer, for things that are small, freelance kind of things, the only thing that I would really see coming at issue is not getting paid. And I actually had a client that... (laughs) client slash friend and she contacted me and she's like john you know this person owes me 700 dollars, and i really am upset about it and i'm like okay well my fees alone are gonna out like it makes <laughs> right. <no sense>. yeah <laughs> it makes very little sense in that regard i would just go to small claims court show my contract and as long as your contract is simple enough to say this is what i'm supposed to do this is what i get paid for at that point you're protected but once you start dealing with things that are a little bit more sophisticated, where you have timetables, you have deliverables, you have things that are a little bit intangible, then you need an attorney that can draft it in a manner that can be consistent if there's an issue. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think increasingly freelancing is sort of, you know, it is a business too. Um, and the workforce mm-hmm. is shifting in that direction. So I think contracts and just like making sure you're documenting and formalizing yeah. everything just as a rule of thumb, because likely the clients and businesses you're working with, that's how they operate as well. Um, I think Absolutely. that's always just a good course of action in general. Certainly. So what are some resources that you can recommend? We've heard a lot of really meaty amazing information. We know that, you know, if we're sort of small and it's a hobby that maybe we're not quite ready, but we might be working towards getting ready. But, you know, if we're working with clients, consumers, if we're working with partners, those may be scenarios and bringing in money where we want to start to bring in legal counsel. Where do we start? Well, I think that LegalZoom, they are a pretty good resource in terms of like boilerplate contracts as well as rocket lawyers. They also have just really cheap um, boilerplate contracts for the freelancer. Somebody that has like a graphic design, you know, freelancing gig, and they just want to submit a contract that's simple to the point, you know, those two resources that I would definitely recommend. And there's also this organization, it's a nonprofit called SCORE, Mm. and they do a really good job with just providing, you know, small business advice, mentoring, education, And they're really good with helping small business, small freelance, you know, anything that's in the range of a small business and helping you in terms of educating you, providing legal advice and also providing business advice, which is what I like. Because sometimes as the attorneys, we can be a little bit more subjective because we're so big on the legal and we're not necessarily thinking on the business side. Yeah. What I like about them is that they provide a little bit of both, especially for your small business uh, entities that really don't have that much resources, especially on the mentoring side to reach out to them. Yeah, when I had my consultation, it really kind of put it into perspective for me because my um, advisor sort of bucketed thinking about starting a business in three ways. And he said the legal is one piece, the accounting is the second, and then sort of your business plan is the third. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really right. helped to kind of give me kind of a guiding light yeah. of how to approach bringing things to life. Yeah, I, I really like that about what they offer. So I would definitely recommend that as a really good resource for people who are at their infancy stage. And just like you said, they'll provide a structure for you 
in terms of compartmentalizing the different resources that you should have in order to really um, excel at what you're doing. So if you have this framework in place and you're thinking about going to the next step, um, and maybe this is more of the scaling up yeah. piece, growing, what um, what are, is your advice for those businesses that are sort of already established? They've got their models. They might be looking for funding from investors. What are some sort of legal frameworks to start to think about? Well, definitely get a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> when you you pass legal Zoom. Right. You probably have one. <laughs> negotiate this on your own because I actually had a client um, when I first met him. And he was willing to give up 25% of his business for, I think it was like around $300,000. Mm. And I almost like fell to the floor. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I think that one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs believe that they can do is they know the value of their business in their mind. They know that they put a lot of sweat equity into it and they want to go out and negotiate their own deal and I don't think that that's a wise idea mm, okay. I think that having an attorney helps you in terms of knowing where you should be registered what your corporate structure should entail and really having your attorney speak to that investor to see if it's a strategic mix for you if it's a really good financial um, opportunity for you or if it's not a good opportunity not all yeah. good. and I think it's, it's hard to walk away from somebody who's writing you a check, but you have to think about, okay, I'm giving away 25% of my business for $300,000. So that leaves me with 75%. Yeah. And that's still, that's still my, that's my angel investor. That's my friends and family. It's not even my A, my, like my round A series. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> that means you're going to be diluted at some point very soon below 50%. Mm. And so... You know, I think having an attorney allows you to really show that you're serious, to little, be a little bit more polished in that area of what your business is worth, have a financial advisor that can help you with the proper valuation of your business. So when you do think you're at a stage past infancy, you're talking investor dollars, please have a conversation with an attorney. So I feel like we got our our frameworks together, building your team, mm -hmm. and protecting ourselves. Just doing business the right way. Right. In order. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So Jennifer, where can our listeners kind of find you on the web if they kind of want to learn more about your work or have questions? Oh, they can find me at jacquelawfirm.com. And occasionally, um, we also tweet at jacquelawfirm. Awesome. Yeah. And Jennifer, okay. you also do a number of really great great webinars with different organizations so we'll share your info so people can engage with you that way thank you so much i had a wonderful time with you ladies thank you for inviting me thank you a pleasure hey 
guys. Now it's time for the segment of the show where we address your career and life questions. Mm-hmm. As always, you can submit them to us by visiting jobblogs.com slash askjobblogs, or you can call us at 929-324-1090. Right. So we have a note from Anonymous. She says, hi, ladies. Love your podcast. I'm currently working for what I thought was my dream company, a major healthcare company for the last two and a half years. I took an entry-level position just again after being laid off from my previous job. My ultimate goal was uh, has always been to become a project manager and eventually progress into different levels. However, now that I'm in my second position at the company, I work closely with project managers and I'm starting to realize it's not what I thought it would be. Mm. What do you do when you're close to what you thought was your ultimate job and then you realize you actually hate it? Oop. This feeling is such a letdown for me because I've assisted on so many projects and I thought I had a good understanding of the position. Hmm. How can we help Anonymous? That is real, though. That's yeah. very real, especially at the entry level, I feel like. Like, we have all these glamorized ideas of... I think a lot of times we fall in love with industries sometimes, mm. you know? Like, oh, um, yeah, that's working real. in events or fashion or PR, like all these glamorous industries, especially in New York City. And then you get there and you're like, people are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> or the hours are bad or whatever. Yeah, but I would say, like, this isn't a bad thing. No. Like, every job, and I think you've said this before, like, every job brings you closer to what you want to do in that either you find out what you want to do or you find out what you don't want to do. Yeah. And both are important. So yeah. it's good that you're like up close looking at this job like, oh no, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> that's this not ain't it. Before you dive into it. So that's yeah. Good. And you're also at the entry level. So I mean, I'd be concerned if you weren't having this experience and kind of, I mean, I think there are a select few that kind of get to walk in their passion from day one. Mm-hmm. Actors, actresses, people like that, musicians. But not all of us do, and I, most of us, I would argue, don't. So, right. um, yeah, it's perfectly okay. So, um, I think since you preface this as, like, your dream company, if you're still very interested in the work that the company does, I think just opening your eyes and kind of looking for alternatives. So, like, mm-hmm. if you don't enjoy what they're doing, start paying attention to what other roles are being played. Yeah. And see if there's somewhere else you can kind of... Yeah. Your way into. Right. Maybe ask people to shadow them or mm-hmm. take informational conversations and really make them focused on people's day to day, how they started, where they evolved, yeah. what they plan to do next. Um, I think definitely take this time to reflect and try to get as specific as possible about yeah. what elements you do enjoy and didn't enjoy, because that'll help you find that next role or position, whether it's in your company or out of the company. So Yeah, and back to your point about writing things down, it's like as soon as you encounter something that's like, ugh, I hate this. Maybe mm-hmm. it's kind of like having a doc where you're like, okay, this is what I don't enjoy. And as soon as you encounter a task or project that you really enjoy, saying, okay, this is the type of thing I want to do. Yeah. And then you can kind of go back and piece it together from there. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, like, some thought starter questions can be, like, you know, do you like a small team dynamic or a large team mm-hmm. dynamic? Do you like working with other teams or working just with one team? Um, you know, things that you can use to transfer either across industries or into other roles. Just try to get as specific as possible. Was it that you were behind a computer too much and not around people enough? Like, what are the elements of the job that you didn't like so that you can kind of use those answers to shape your next role? Right. Yeah. Make this beneficial to you. Yeah. To your journey. Good luck. Thank 
Thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. Yes. If you loved the episode, be sure to share it with a friend, a coworker, someone who could use the counsel. Pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, counsel. I see what you did there. I see it. As always, you can connect with us around the web at jawblogs or jawblogs.com. Mm-hmm. I'm Cleve Out Loud, most places. I'm Hamas Parker. And we'll see you on the 15th. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.